You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I have really done it this time, have I not, Master? <laughs> you sure have. You've been taken by the greatest con artist in the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Hacking Humans podcast, an occasional series we call Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is my CyberWire colleague, Rick Howard. Hello, Rick. Hey, Dave. On this show, Rick and I look at some of our favorite clips from cinema and television, clips which demonstrate some of the scams and schemes that Joe Kerrigan and I talk about on Hacking Humans. We've got some fun clips to share, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message from our show sponsor. All right, Rick, we have got a fun episode today, (laughs) and I am going all out here with a bit of wackiness. Uh, My clip this week is from— A little nostalgia, right? I mean, going back to the 60s. Yeah, come on. Well, we'll get to that. So (laughs) my clip is from the classic TV show, um, I Dream of Jeannie. Love it. I will posit that I Dream of Genie has one of the best TV theme songs ever. Would you agree? <laughs> I totally agree. I think in you're fact, right I would that. I would put it right up there with one of your favorites, Johnny Quest. Oh well, you know, on Mondays and Thursdays I would debate you, but today I'll let you have that one. All right. <laughs> I think they're similar styles. You know, a lot of trombones, I, a lot of horns. Yeah. Or they're both really good stuff. So. Um, for those who aren't familiar with the show, this is, as Rick mentioned, this is a show from the 1960s. It starred Barbara Eden and Larry Hagman. Uh, I'm going to read the Wikipedia description here. It says, I Dream of Jeannie is an American fantasy sitcom television series created by Sidney Sheldon that starred Barbara Eden as a sultry 2,000-year-old genie and Larry Hagman as an astronaut with whom she falls in love and eventually marries. Produced by Screen Gems, the show originally aired for 139 episodes over five seasons from September 18, 1965 to May 26, 1970 on NBC. Mm-hmm. Now, Rick, did you did you watch the original run of this show? Not the original run, but, you know, it was on reruns forever, right? Yes. And when I was growing up. And so when we come home from school, I Dream of Genie was just one of the things that would be on, as well as uh, Gilligan's Island and, yep. uh, you know, Batman and all that stuff. So, yeah, I totally watched all the shows. Same with me. I, I well, I was not born yet during the original run of the show. So, <laughs> so I only caught it in reruns, but throughout the 70s. And and this is one of those fun, light comedy shows, uh, just a classic 70s sitcom. I will say that it is also of its time. Um, I think the whole idea of this uh, beautiful woman living in a bottle and being bound to her master seems kind of cringeworthy today. I I did. (laughs) A little bit. She called him master in the TV club. We're going to watch it, and I had to cringe a little bit. I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they tried to 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 ease it up in the pilot episode by saying that she chooses to be with him under by her own will, uh-huh. and uh, he sets her free, but she insists on staying with him. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's also now that we got also, that, that behind also, us. Yeah. Yeah. There's also <laughs> no explanation for why a woman slash genie who says she is originally from Baghdad and 2,000 years old would be tall, blonde, and Caucasian. But <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it was a different time. I think you it was are controversial definitely uh, reading. 
too much into this, Dave. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think it was controversial <laughs> enough in the 60s that she was showing her belly button on TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I they, remember. They, yeah. they didn't want to take it any farther uh, with, you know, some, some kind of— uh, you know, interracial uh, taboo love affair or something like that, right? <laughs> so the clip I'm featuring today features the great Milton Berle, Mr. Oh, Milton Television, Berle. right? <laughs> Most people don't even know who Milton Berle is these days, right? No, so, uh, not I'm anymore. I'm glad we're bringing him back. Yep. Yep, Milton yep. Berle uh, was certainly one of the pioneers of television. Uh, if you're not familiar, if you're of a certain age, you know exactly who we're talking about. If not, you probably don't. But if you go look him up, You'll say, "Oh, right, that guy. My my parents or my grandparents have told well, me certain, about that guy." Uh, <laughs> of a certain age, Dave, is anybody north of us? Okay, that's how old this is, right? So, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. So this clip features uh, Milton Berle. He is a con man who convinces Jeannie to trade her scarab. So a scarab is like a fancy jewel. Uh, mm-hmm. So she has this scarab, I guess, that she picked up somewhere along the way during her 2,000 years of being a genie. Uh, and this scarab is worth half a million dollars. And let me point out, half a million 1960s dollars. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> he convinces genie to trade the scarab for the deed of a plot of land in Hawaii, which he claims is beachfront property full of diamonds. <laughs> and now this is uh, kind of going back to a little bit of what makes this show cringeworthy. Part of the trope of this show was that Jeannie was always getting herself into trouble through her innocence, her childlike innocence. Uh, and so um, her master, uh, Major Nelson, uh, who's the astronaut, would have to get her help get her out of trouble. So the scene starts out in their house. Major Nelson is... Uh, painting a picture. He's just doing, you know, having fun with one of his hobbies, which happens to be painting. And Jeannie shows up and tells him what's going on. Let's listen to the clip. Master. What is? Master, I have the most exciting surprise for you. I thought There's that master you were talking about. You now own the most beautiful beach in Oahu. Oahu. And you were going to build a beautiful home there and sit under the palm trees and eat the coconuts as they fall. Jeannie, I told you, whenever I wanted land, I'd buy it myself. Oh, but you do not have to buy it, Master. This land did not cost anything. How'd you get it? Oh, I was very clever. How'd you get it? I was much smarter than Mr. Vanderhaven, and he is the richest man in the whole world. How'd you get it? All I had to do was to give him my scarab, and he gave me that. Two acres of sand for for a jewel worth a half a million dollars? Oh, but it is worth it. Just totally worth it. It is covered with diamonds. <laughs> it's covered with diamonds. Yes, your land is full of them. Hundreds are washed ashore from the big volcano. <laughs> and that is why it is called Diamond Head. Who told you that? Mr. Vanderhaven. <laughs> I have really done it this time, have I not, Master? <laughs> you sure have. You've been taken by the greatest con artist in the world. Con artist? Yeah, Jeannie, there aren't any diamonds in Hawaii. Oh, but you are wrong, Master. <laughs> I picked these up off your beach myself. Oh, Jeannie, these are probably just industrial diamonds that he scattered on the beach. You've been taken by the oldest trick in the book. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, my scarab. Oh, King Tut will be furious with me. Yeah. 
Well, I will call the police and tell them exactly oh, what yeah, happened. Oh, uh, yeah, listen, Jeannie, uh, why don't you do that? Uh, you call the police and they'll want to know who you are and where you're from. And you'll say you're a genie. Yes. And you come out of a bottle. That is right. And they'll put us all away. <laughs> but what shall I do, Master? Nothing. Oh, but I must do something. No, absolutely nothing. Now, maybe this will be a lesson to you. Yes, Master. Well, you didn't come off too badly. I mean, you got three diamonds out of it. Yes. At least I got the diamonds out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I shall be running along. Where are you going? Oh, I will take a nap. I am very sleepy. I always get sleepy when I have been cheated. Uh. So now we're on the boat with Milton Berle and Jeannie appears. Here he is. I didn't see you come in, Jeannie. I wanted to speak to you about our land. Oh, no, you'll have to talk to my lawyer. Uh, we, we have an ironclad deal. If you have any complaints... I did not come here to complain. I came here to thank you. There isn't a court in the world to thank me. Yes, I have just come from my beach. You did not tell me how large the diamonds were. She dumps out a bag full of diamonds. <laughs> he takes out a loop to look at them. They're diamonds. They're diamonds. They're real diamonds. Yes, the tide keeps washing them up on the shore faster than the trucks can take them away. Trucks? Truckloads of, of diamonds? It was very generous of you. Jeannie, you, uh, you can't have that land. Why not? Because th there's a curse on it. There's a curse of the ancient gods of the volcanoes. The mum and dun dun curse. The mum and gooden gooden gods. I do not believe in curses. Oh, you, you're a brave girl, and I would never forgive myself if I let anything happen to you. Oh, but really? Now, I don't, don't argue. We can't take any chances. Now, I suggest one thing. Just leave this here, and here, you, you, take, you take back the scarab, huh? Are you sure? Sure, I'm positive. And, uh, uh, Jeannie, give me the deed to the land, please. So Jeannie turns the diamonds into rocks. She uses her magic. I'm the richest man in the world. <laughs> truckloads, truckloads. Enjoy yourself. Uh, she disappears. Let's go, let's go. Eddie. Where's the scarab? The what? The scarab. You're kidding. What scarab? You're kidding, Eddie. I gave back that half a million dollar trinket, that scarab. <laughs> I gave it back. Look at this, Eddie. Look at this. You know what this is? Do you know what this is? Rock candy. Sure, it's rock candy. That's back and when that's rock it. candy was a thing, right? I don't, you don't see it anymore. Yeah. No. I, I, yes. Uh, side side note, I will say that to me, rock candy is the most disappointing of candies. I don't... <laughs> I hardly classify it as candy to me. Yes, there's a reason you don't find rock candy anymore. It's because there are, it's terrible, and there are much better candies out there. But just one man's opinion. So what do you make of this clip, Rick? Oh, this is a fun one, huh? I love this that you brought this back because it brings, you know, a little... Um, bring back some old times for me. And here's what I really like about it, though. Jeannie gets taken by the world's biggest comment on the planet mm -hmm. and in seconds reverses the everything by going back and doing the exact same con on him, right? And right. <laughs> come on. I love that. Okay. Right. And it's right. all resolved in five minutes. Okay. Of so course. how great is that? <laughs> With a nice tidy bow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jeannie gets, uh, she, she gets the, the best of him.
No, it's a good clip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I had the power to blink and, you know, just make rocks into diamonds, uh, I don't think she would have to worry too much about that scarab. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't dive too deep into that plot hole, I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of consistency when it comes to uh, <laughs> Jeannie's powers and uh, riches and all that sort of thing. It, uh, I think whatever the plot requires is what she's capable of doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> By the way, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Barbara Eden once. No way! You are now yes. my new biggest hero. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at the lighting of the National Christmas Tree. Uh, this is back in my TV days. I was I was actually the Steadicam operator for the television broadcast of the lighting of the National Christmas Tree. And she was hosting that show along with Roy Clark, who was her co-host. This was way back during George W. Bush's term, so we're talking mm. a ways back. Um, but I, I got to meet her. I got to, you know, say hello and just introduce myself and thank her for all the you know, wonderful work she's done over the years. And she was very nice. She was very gracious. Uh, she was, of course, in her later years, but just as beautiful as she ever was and uh, just kind. And it was a real delight to get to meet her. And and Roy Clark was her co-host. I mean, he's the one of the co-hosts of Hee Haw, another yep. '70s perennial TV show. All right, I so. know, I know. <laughs> we are really dating <laughs> ourselves on this show. It was quite a night, quite a night, and also shows you. I don't know if it's the caliber of stars they can get or the caliber of stars they can afford for the lighting of the, <laughs> the National Christmas tree. tree. But it was a lovely evening for me, and uh, one I will never forget. Awesome. All right, well, Rick, let's move on to your clip this week. What do you have for us? Yeah, we're going to go uh, bring it back to the modern days, okay? Um, uh, we're not going to have to watch TV run by squirrels with this one, okay? <laughs> so uh, my clip uh, from for this week is the 2000 movie Ant-Man, okay, directed by Peyton Reed, and he did all three Ant-Man movies. And I don't, Dave, you probably didn't watch this, but the 2002 hit Bring It On, the big dance movie, right? So he's mm. that guy. Okay. Ant-Man is the 12th MCU movie in 53 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you can believe that, right? So, wow. Uh, and this is the first one. And in this scene, Rudd is, this is before he becomes Ant-Man. Paul Rudd is the main actor in this. Yeah. And uh, this is before, and he is a low-level cat burglar. And uh, we see him uh, start uh, do one of his capers. So let's roll the clip and we'll try to talk you through this. This is mostly him doing stuff. We're going to describe what he does here. All right. So he's shimmering up the two-story house. Looks like nobody's home. Jumping over and looking very acrobatic. <laughs> he's done this before. Looks like he's opening up a box and disabling the alarm system. And I will just say that he is the most competent he's ever been in all three movies in this scene right here, right? Because ever, <laughs> ever after that, he's not been that great. Right. So he goes to the window, he's going downstairs, and Beautiful he's looking house. around. Yep, he's casing the house. He kind of knows what he's doing. He finds some keys, okay, on the counter and goes down to the basement and unlocks the door. And then he sees something they weren't expecting to see. There's a fingerprint lock on the door. He's got a what? Ernesto didn't tell me nothing about that. Oh man, are we screwed? Not necessarily. He's talking to his uh, partners in the van out in the street. Right. So now Rudd is rummaging through the kitchen looking for materials. He finds scotch tape. 
He's looking around. He's finding some uh, liquid glue uh, and an old key ring with no keys on it. Hmm. He stretches out the scotch tape, puts it on the doorknob, puts the tape down on the table, puts the ring down, and then pours the liquid gold or liquid glue into the ring, heats up the stove, and then heats up the tape and the ring, and because it's now solidified, he can pull off a little circlet of a totally formed, perfectly formed fingerprint. Wow. And runs it down to the basement and puts it on the fingerprint reader and... Come in. No alarms have been triggered. He's in like... Just oh, like and he goes. says the phrase. He says the phrase, Rick. He's in. I mean... Yeah, you can stop it there, Dave. <laughs> you can stop it there. Yeah, I think it's by law now you have to say you're in, okay, yeah. if you are. <laughs> All right, so part of the here is my deal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my question to you, Dave. This is a okay. kind of a trope. This is a trope in all uh, spy movies, heist movies. Right. What do you think? What is the probability that this will actually work in the real world? What do you think? Of pulling fingerprints? Yeah, pulling fingerprints on tape and running it down to a fingerprint uh, reader to see it and breaking into buildings and things. My understanding is that this can actually work. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, um, you know, uh, Dinah Davis, who uh, is our partner, uh, uh, worked at Arctic Wolf. Yeah. Before Arctic Wolf, she worked for, mm -hmm. yeah, she's great. She worked at BlackBerry. And one of the things that she worked on with BlackBerry were really uh, like first-generation fingerprint scanners for security. Mm -hmm. And she was telling me how one of the ways they used to spoof the fingerprint scanners was using gummy bears. <laughs> like you, you could pull a fingerprint using a gummy bear and put it on the scanner, and it would scan and let you in. Now— I suspect they're more sophisticated than that now. I hope they are. <laughs> well, but it's funny you should mention that because I saw the clip and I went, I got to I got to find out if this is, you know, possible to happen. It turns out that there's this guy uh, Michael Lanesa. He wrote an article in Medium on the Medium uh, blog platform back in 2020 to answer this specific question. And you're right that there are different types of you know, fingerprint readers now. And the very first models back in the 90s, the optical ones were basically just taking a picture uh, of the finger, of the fingerprint. So right. uh, it might have worked back in the 90s, right? But now we have different kinds of these readers. There's capacitive, there's mechanical, and there's thermal all designed to counter this kind of movie trope thing, right? So here's oh. what's here's what's interesting. Okay, in the Captain Marvel movie, okay, that came out a while ago, yeah, it's set in 1995, and Nick Fury does the same trick by you know by breaking it um, by pulling a fingerprint off an ID card. But since it was set in the 1995, that would probably work back then. But for Ant Man. I don't think it would have worked anymore, right? So that's kind of where hmm. I'm coming down on. What well, do you think? Let me, well, so let me push back on you a little bit because one of the things that happens in this scene, when he opens that first door, right, he gets the key to the door and he unlocks the door and he opens the door and he's immediately met with another door. Yep. And that door has the fingerprint scanner on it. Mm -hmm. The fingerprint scanner looks old. Oh, you. that's a very good point because... 
Even when he breaks through that door with the fingerprint, he goes into another, and there's another door, a very old safe that he, he has to break through. So right. that would be consistent that all of these uh, security controls would be old. So we're going to have to reverse our thought here, Dave, and say, <laughs> well, you might have had a shot at this. But I wonder if even the, the folks who wrote this movie were did their research and were being consistent enough to say, yes, this would work if, and so because of that, they put an older an older style, an older technology of fingerprint scanner on that door to make it more plausible. I, you know, I, I love the MCU. Okay. And they are, they have some pretty decent writers. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they did that on purpose without explaining it. So nerds like you and I can spend hours <laughs> worrying about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> Next up, we're going to figure out how Jeannie got in that bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you oh. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Good clips, good show. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Rick Howard. Thanks for listening.